Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 488, 12 away from the big 500. And uh, you just gave me an uh, idea about what we're going to do for our 500th episode. Would you mind saying that to the listeners? So on our 500th episode, so we've been doing this show for eight years and we've never had our kids on, <laughs> except once when Cameron came on with Charlie. Yeah. Because she was homesick that day. Um, so our kids are going to be on the show. And so if you have questions for our children, um, then please just email them. Why would they have questions for our children? Well, meaning the, the, you know, our children's experience with us about, you know, we have a 16 year old, a 14 year old and a uh, 11 year old. If you have questions about being 16, 14 or 11, meaning if you have kids that age or, you know, you have a question about middle school or going into high school or just about um, the way that things uh, are at our house, you know, so are we going to get are we going to get out of the way um, on this podcast and let our kids shine? Why? Why would we do anything different? That's kind of a weird Because I don't question. like giving away my mic space, sweetie. Oh, well, I think there sweetie, is... this is about me. There's plenty of room for everybody. Oh, okay, good. As I always say, on a couch, on a chair, in the car. So you sound like I, Dr. Seuss right now. Well, I feel like I say that to my children all the time. Would There's you, plenty could you of room for everybody. Box? Would you, could you with a fox? For, when I sit, we have this one chair, this gray chair in our family room. So we have this long couch... And then there's this gray chair that's kind of like, it's not a love seat. It's like a double chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I sit there, there's always an argument about who's going to sit there with me. So we end up having like two. So it's like three people in the double chair. Yeah. And it took some video of you guys wrestling last night. How come you guys are always wrestling? I'm not wrestling. They're wrestling while they're in the chair and I'm there. Mm Mm-hmm. They just, they're wrestling around me and I would like it to stop. Do you think that they'd be wrestling if you weren't there? No, that's the thing. Last night when they were arguing about something, they were playing (laughs) Two Girls in a Truck, which is a game that they play. So there's a moving company. I think it's a national (laughs) company called Two Men in a Truck. Yeah. And I honestly, we've hired them to move for us. And I thought it was kind of endearing that the name, like, oh, it's a smaller company. Yeah, Two Men in a Truck. Two Guys in a Truck. Two Guys in a Truck. And it's actually like a really huge operation. Yes. Well, all things start, you know, have a beginning and then they grow. I guess that's true. I was mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, they were just kind of baiting and switching me. No. But that's probably how the company yeah. started. Two, yeah. two guys in a truck. Two guys in a truck. Okay. So anyway, the my oldest and my youngest, <clears throat> they'll pick up my middle daughter and they'll say two girls in a truck. I don't, I don't really understand. they pick them up and move her from one side of the room to the other. <laughs> and the girl who's getting moved is doing it reluctantly. Yeah. And so there's a lot of flailing and I feel involved. And so and you're always worried they're going to hit their head. I am. And so here's the thing I want to do is next time I just want to go upstairs. I want to pull a Wayne Dyer and just be like, bye, mm-hmm. because there really is a showmanship. Like I will say this to parents. Um, when, when your children are like having arguments over you, around you in the kitchen at dinner, there is a show being put on. And I don't mean they're highly conscious of that, but there is a sense of, I want to be seen, heard, valued. Well, and when you're with other people, it, it, it raises the energy of it. It's like, kind of like watching a movie by yourself versus watching it with a loved one. Like that changes things when somebody else is there. You experience it differently. And so, but again, I don't think my kids are like, Hey, let's do this on purpose in front of people. I think though, when people leave the situation, 
the energy just gets sucked out of it. That's right. So it's not fun to fight anymore when no one's there. So um, I, I want to thank our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Sometimes I'm, I force Jeremy at the end of the show, and I just felt like giving him some love at the beginning. Well, you don't force him. You just throw him in at the end. Uh, avidco.net. His phone number is 630-956-1800. If you have a project around your house and you live in the Chicagoland area, give him a call and tell him Todd and Kathy sent you, and then just ask to rub his uh, bald head, because that's good luck. No, we don't do that in this area. Ask. You oh, ask. ask. Okay. Sweetie, you have got to listen. I know, but if someone says, can I rub your bald head? And I'm he's sure either going to say yes or no. I, I hope he says no. I hope he says yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's very fair. He's very kind and he's very smart. He figured out this really great fireplace TV thing for us. He's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so. I was really happy about that. Um. So what? A, oh, and we have a sex ed talk tonight in Downers Grove. It's yes. not too late. So go to um, zenparentingradio.com and click on events. So see you tonight. 10 bucks to get in. Lincoln Center, Downers Grove, yeah. right? Starts at seven, I think. Yes. And on that note, uh, Todd brought up this morning something I posted on the page the other day about our state of Illinois is um, considering a law that when you teach sex ed in the public schools, you have to include consent. And as Todd said to me this morning, we were talking about this article or this possibility, and he said, doesn't that make total sense? Um, like, of course, right? It's like if you don't put consent into a discussion about sexuality or sex education, it's like teaching mathematics without arithmetic. Aren't mathematics and arithmetic the same thing? I don't know. Mathematics is kind of the umbrella. It's geometry. It's trigonometry. Arithmetic is a part of mathematics. Really? What is the definition of arithmetic? It's two plus two equals four. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, but what I said to him was... Um, first people have to understand that's a real thing. Like, I still think that there's people who are like, you know, push and tell someone tells, you no, and yeah. you know, there's people who still don't understand what consent is. Understandably, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. I'm trying to say, you have to believe something is real and of value before you learn how to teach it. Right. And I think that now we're starting to understand why this is so vital and it's going to hopefully by law be part of the curriculum. And Todd and I will discuss that tonight. Um, essentialism. Yes. So there was this book that was recommended to me and I kept hearing about, and whenever I hear about a book more than once or twice, I go get it. And it's by, uh, Greg Mc McCowan. You were, you, I knew you were going to mess that up. I, um, I like to say things right. M-C-K-E-O-W-N. I bet it's McEwen. McEwen. Let's go with McEwen. I Sorry, bet. Greg. I think it is just because it's not Mc, Mc something else because <laughs> K -E It's not Mc something else. <laughs> um, K-E-O-W-N. We're going with McEwen. So anyway, his book is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which to me is like, a, I, I was a little worried it would be too businessy because mm -hmm. um, I don't really love business examples of how like, you know, companies became Fortune 500. I kind of don't care, but it was, it's not. I think it's a little, even though he uses those examples, it's a little more personal and and really just the definition of essentialism is less but better. Mm -hmm. Just to re really break it Thank down. You. less but better. Less but better. Because, you know, what he focuses on in the book is really how we become these creatures who want to do everything and we expend energy doing everything, which means we don't do anything well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're just, you know, and I know we've heard that as parents for a long time is when you're working and you're a parent and you're a friend and you're a daughter, then you just feel like you're giving away energy and nothing is being done well. So this isn't a new concept, but 
he, the book is really about how to do less, but do better at what you're doing. Well, I feel like the beginning of this discussion has to be the fact that we as grownups in our worlds think that if somebody asks me how I'm doing and I say, I'm doing great. And I say, you know what would you do this weekend? And I said, oh, I sat on a couch and looked out the window. Mm -hmm. They would look at me like, oh, you must not have enough to do. That sounds dreamy. Let's do that. There's a, there's like a, there's a status to being busy. Right. As Brene Brown always says, uh, productivity is our new status symbol. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So Mm -hmm. anyways, I just want to say- You're exactly right. And I think, I was telling Todd last night, we were kind of discussing this book and I was saying that I think that it's so hardwired into us. um, And there's this unconscious um, desire and drive that we're so- and I'm using the word unconscious on purpose, meaning we don't even understand what's driving us. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even have a clear understanding of what we're going for is that when we talk about, you know, if you guys remember the movie from way back when called Race to Nowhere, and it was basically about teaching kids how to just go faster and faster and faster and do more and more and more and do AP and honors and and then get into the right college and then they'd be happy. And we all know that none of that's true, right? right? We can all look at that and stand back and go, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But the hardwiring or the software, I don't know if it's our hardwiring or the software we were given as we grew up. Like right. the, I'm differentiating Hardwiring by, is how we showed up in this world. Software is what we were conditioned by our society. I think it's software. I, think I really so don't too. think it's hardwiring. Um, so the software, the, the download that we all got when we started getting into school was do more, 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 be better, 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 because that's what makes you who you are. And we know that's not true, but because we all carry that software program and we keep running it, we just, you know, we ran it in high school, we ran it in college, we ran it in our, in our work. And then we started running it as parents. We we're not stopping and saying, where am I trying to go? Like, I say this to myself all the time is literally when I'm getting all anxious and worked up, I'm like, where do I think this is leading? Like, what do I, what am I really worried about? Because we can get lost in the minutia and the details, but when you really sort out the details, what is the fear? Well, it's funny. I'm going to introduce <clears throat> a paradoxical example uh, in the beginning of the show. Okay. I, I was listening to an interview by Michael Phelps. Tony Robbins yep. was interviewing Michael Phelps. And this is the contradiction. One is he swam like every day for like a year and it was like five hour practices. Mm-hmm. And like it was like unbelievably intense and he didn't have much downtime. Right. So like, oh, and he was trying to win a gold medal. Right. Whereas I don't think there are any parenting gold medals out there. So in one way, Michael Phelps situation is different than the rest of us. But at the same time, one thing I think we'll talk about today is that you have to focus on the one thing that you want to do in your life. Correct. So yes, he was really busy, but he was busy on the one thing. And you know, it's all, it's, it's interesting because Abby Wambeck's book is coming out this week and um, she was at our conference this year and she talks a lot about how soccer for her, she was basically born an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. She was just, that's the body she was born into. That's the skill level she had. She actually said on an interview that I listened to yesterday, she could still kick anyone's ass, male or female in any sport. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm just an athlete. Yeah. Like it's just like John O'Sullivan, like there's freaks out there that were born that God gave these bodies just freakish talents. Yes. And, and minds. She's, she's one of them. You know, the ability to to see and yeah. scan. And, you know, there's so much to being an athlete. And so soccer ended up being the thing that she did, but she didn't love it. Right. And she, like, it was a chore for her for a long time. She said she finally, I think she said post-college, 
when she had the goal, yeah. right, was the U.S. team and everything, she got into a zone and she started taking care of her body in a different way. And But even with that, she talks about how even though she had the goal, um, and this is great with Michael Phelps, too, because even though she had the goal and she had the body and she had all the things and the fame and the notoriety, she was also drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. She was numbing her feelings. She was numbing her, not only her psychological pain, but she was numbing her body pain because when you are an athlete, you are never fully healthy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your, your body is continually breaking down. Continually. Because you're on the field all the time. And you're training all the time. Now, what's interesting about that story about Abby and then Michael Phelps, who was in the movie Angst mm -hmm. that we screened a couple of years ago, he was in some major depression. Yeah. And and so my point in telling everybody this is, again, it, it goes back to that thing about if we have a goal or if we're doing what we love, then we're just going to naturally be happy. But we don't see that. We see Michael Phelps in win the his medal. swimsuit win yeah. the medal, but we don't see that he volunteered like, yes, please get me in this documentary called Angst because I suffer from anxiety disorder. Yeah. Like we don't think talk about that. And his his was anxiety and depression yeah. because he felt suicidal. And, yeah. and um, you know, Abby, her story is about how she was drinking and she was going through a divorce and she got a DUI. Mm -hmm. And she's like, thank God it woke me up. Up to what I was doing and the path I was going down. So I'm saying these things because sometimes we'll be like, well, if you want to be the best, this is what you have to do. And then we have to kind of figure out what does the best mean? What does that definition mean? Because a lot of people win the medal or become the president or get the A's and they're still not happy. Yeah. I, I don't love using that word because happy is Content. a fleeting. Content. Uh, they don't have that sense of presence where they're Inner... like... Inner contentment, because yeah. um, happy is a fleeting feeling word. But and again, it's not about there's a wrong way to do it and a right. Like obviously, what Michael Phelps and Abby Wambach have done in their life is amazing, and you you don't take anything away from them. And what they've both figured out how to do is how to give back. Mm -hmm. Like now, look what they're doing in their lives. Right. You know, they they because utilized that's what gives their life purpose. Now. Exactly, they've utilized their skill set and their drive, and now they're putting it towards helping people. Um, so, you know, I don't know how we went down that track, Toddy. What uh, was, what were you, oh, you were just talking about the 10,000 hours, basically. The Didn't Malcolm Gladwell say something about if you really want to be good at something, you have to do 10,000 like hours? Yeah. And even that has been questioned, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, but okay, getting back to essentialism. So basically the goal of the book is how to live a life by design, and not by default, because a lot of times we end up just doing a lot of a lot of what we're doing, you know, in parenting, a lot of what we're doing in our work, you know, what we're doing socially. And we're really just living by default. Mm -hmm. We're thinking we have to do everything that we don't have a choice. I mean, there's a lot of my own clients and I know people on Team Zen when we suggest things, there's a lot of no, I can't do that. I'm too busy. No, I can't do that. No, that's not possible. And while I totally hear that, because I feel that way sometimes too, then we're living a life by default. Yeah. If there really is nothing we can change, then that's more of a mindset of like, I'm stuck in this. Yeah. Whereas there's, you may not be able to change the house you're living in or the fact that your child is going through a challenge, but you can do things to feed, feed your mind different things. Sure. Like the shifts don't always happen externally. Right. They happen internally. Right. Um, so basically you're just, this is about making choices deliberately mm -hmm. rather than reactively, Yeah, which I think is, you know, 
helpful to me. I I wanted to. Did you want to? I, I want to just read a quote by Eckhart Tolle. Please go ahead. Um, and it, it go back like five minutes in the podcast. We're sure. talking about purpose. Yes. Whenever you become anxious or stressed, outer purpose has taken over. Mm. And you lost sight of your inner purpose. You have forgotten that your state of consciousness is primary, all else is secondary. So Always. Yeah. And, you know, love his language, but there sure are days that that's difficult to do. It's not impossible, but mm-hmm. you really have to be thoughtful about, this is why a book like this is really helpful to me, yeah. be um, essentialism, because I think this does make us be conscious of the state we're in and why we're doing what we're doing. It's like a good practice of what Eckhart's talking about. Speaking of, just a podcast recommendation for all of you, uh, Krista Tippett's Becoming Wise, uh, not On Being, that's a different podcast, Becoming Wise. She relaunched it uh, a week or two ago. Basically, the podcast is only about eight minutes where she interviews somebody, and today it's Eckhart Tolle. Oh, nice. So... Um, she also has a book that she came out with from Becoming Wise was launched a few years ago, and then she made a book out of the people she interviewed, and that I read that over spring break. That was good. So I just wanted to read a few things about what it means to be an essentialist versus a non-essentialist. Love it. Okay, so let me start with the non-essentialist, okay? A non-essentialist thinks, I have to, it's all important, how can I fit it all in? Mm-hmm. An essentialist thinks, I choose to, only a few things matter. What are the trade-offs? Okay. A non-essentialist, what they do. React to what's most pressing. Say yes to people without thinking. Tries to force execution at the last minute. Mm. An essentialist pauses to discern what matters. Says no to everything except what's essential. Removes obstacles to make ex- execution easier. Says no to everything. I mean, like, there's just, like... You know, there's a ton in just those six things that you just read. Totally. And there's one more. uh, There's one more on the chart. So a non-essentialist, what they get, they take on too much and their work suffers. They feel out of control, unsure of whether the right things are getting done, and they feel overwhelmed and exhausted. But an essentialist, what they get, they choose carefully in order to get uh, to do great work. They feel in control. They get the right things done and they experience joy. Mm. Great book. So if you can integrate this book, you'll get whatever's on the left or the right-hand side of that page. And I think, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's just, I mean... For the sake of just, because, uh, just read the essentialist part from top to bottom, just just, okay. just so we can get it. So okay, from if, top to if bottom. you can integrate the ideas of this book, and, you know, they're universal principles. We've probably heard this a bunch of different other times right. in other books, but it's just convenient in this one book. So forget about the non-essential and just top to bottom. Okay. So if you are an essentialist, this is what you get. I choose to. Only a few things really matter. What are the trade-offs? So I feel like those are the statements that you say to yourself yes. before doing anything. Go ahead. And then... Pausing to discern what really matters, Mm -hmm. says no to everything except what's essential, removes obstacles to make things easy, execution easy. Says no to everything. I love that. Think about that because us moms and dads are saying yes to almost everything. And let me say how something that's, I think, a very, and I don't know if you experienced this, Todd, but something that's very common with women I know and with myself for sure. So I'll take, first I'll say me, and then Mm -hmm. I'll say I've found some normalization in this is sometimes we'll have a plan, like something that maybe, you know, someone we're going to see or a coffee date we're going to have or, a, you know, something, a movie we're going to go to. And then the person maybe we're going with 
or it gets canceled. Mm-hmm. Like we get a phone call, like, you know, either the movie's not playing or I can't show up or I'm sick. Let me guess. You get excited. Yes. There's like a euphoria of like, <gasps> I don't have to go. So are you saying that the origination of that, whatever, movie date or lunch date, you should be saying no to that. Well, you know, and, and again, I don't know. Like, it, it always makes me wonder. I really don't have a final um, announcement about that. Like, yeah. here's what that means. Because I think it's different for everybody. And every situation is different. Because, like, you know, this weekend I'm having a coffee with two of my best friends, you know, two different days. And I'd be very sad if they canceled. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. But there and, and there are times when I'm seeing those people on a Thursday night and they cancel and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Like, not because of them, but because maybe of what the week felt like yeah. or the thing we were going to do felt like a must. Um, you know, like I, I don't really know, but I know that when you have that feeling, that's something to look at. Mm -hmm. Like why, if I'm so excited, even if I would have enjoyed doing that, like there's a part of my work right now that I'm considering letting go of. And I've been talking to Todd about it for a couple of weeks. And the thing that gets really confusing is that I really don't dislike it. Mm -hmm. It's not this part of my work that I'm giving up. I don't, I don't, hate it. Mm-hmm. It's not miserable to do. And when I'm done, I feel really good. I'm helping people. But I think I need to not do it anymore yeah. because it just feels like I should be done. I can't explain it, but but it's not because the people are bad. It's it's. It has to be a full body yes. And that's the thing is mine is like, a, oh, when I complete it, I feel good. Yeah. But it's that's, not a full body yes. That, that means the outcome is what is filling you up versus right. the process itself. Right. And those are things that I hear from people all the time is, you know, like I have friends who teach yoga. I used to teach yoga and they'll be like, well, I never really want to go and I don't want to come up with a class. But then when I'm done teaching yoga, I feel good. I'm like, I don't know if that's good enough. That's what I used to say about church all the time. Really? I don't want to go to church. But the minute I walk out the doors of the church, it's like, oh. I'm so glad I did that. And but and I to your point, like, does that mean I never should have gone to church when I was a little kid? No, but I think it's something that we need to question right. when we're deciding these things, whether it's church or coffee or taking on a job. Because the belief system, and some people will say, well, that's how all of life is. And I think this book is saying, no, No. it's not, is that if you're living an essential life, there are things you wake up excited to do. And you're excited before, you're excited while you're going, you're excited while you're there, and you're happy after. And then there's things that you dread that you go do, and then you feel okay about so it So I'm after. guessing that there's a lot of people, maybe not, that are listening, that are rolling their eyes saying, listen, my life is half too. Sure. Like that part in parenthood. Right. My I, whole life is half right, too. Right, right. I just brought that up to you the other day. You did. I might try to find that. Yeah. So... A little more, um, uh, just some things to bring out from this book that I thought were so interesting. One of them was the word priority, Mm -hmm. okay? So the word priority is singular, you know, like... Way I don't I think they said the word I can't remember when the word became popular is way back when, um, I mean way back when you know like like long time ago right and it used to mean your number one thing singular right Right. in the 90s this word became plural yeah and we started saying priorities right and that in itself doesn't make sense right because you can't have four priorities right. I mean, we can play with that and say, well, I have three kids, so they're my three priorities. Okay, I get it. But you can't have everything mean the same or else the word priority doesn't make any sense. Well, and then we uh, created the word prioritization. Like there's like a whole different, you know, genre of thought processes. We made it a do rather than a choice. Like I'm going to prioritize versus what is my priority? I actually have a really good movie scene to share. Let's do it. 
Um, so City Slickers. Yeah. Cowboy. What's Jack Palance's name? Curly. 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 <laughs> Is is walking along in uh, on his horse. Billy Crystal's right next to him, mm-hmm. and Billy Crystal is um, you know looking at this cowboy, probably looking down at him in the beginning, and then ending up getting quite a bit of wisdom out of what it is. So let's hear. It's about seventy five seconds. Okay. Cowboy leads a different kind of life when there were cowboys. They're a dying breed. Still means something to me, though. A couple of days, we'll move this herd across the river, driving through the valley. Oh, <laughs> there's nothing like bringing in a herd. See, now that's great. Your life makes sense to you. <laughs> What's so funny? You city folk, you worry about a lot of <laughs> My wife basically told me she doesn't want me around. She read it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, how old are you? 38. 39. Yeah. You all come up here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, and then you think two weeks up here will time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing, just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you got to figure out. And see. So that's essentialism right. in a movie. Curly. <clears throat> and I know we've all seen that movie or saw that movie. Didn't you think Billy Crystal was so old when you saw that? And now he's like 10 years younger. Than so us. sad. So sad. I was like, oh my God, they're so old. Yes. Um, but he, that's it, is that if you're clear about what's important and essential, all this other stuff that swirls around you, it still swirls. You can't keep the world from swirling. And I think that's the thing that people misunderstand when we talk about mindfulness or choice or in this case, essentialism is people will say, well, you don't understand. I have all these things happening. And I want to say everybody does. Mm -hmm. It's not stopping those happening things. It's choosing what to focus your energy on and being clear. Because people will still ask you out for coffee. They will still want to take your time. There will still be challenges that your child has. You will still have to focus on your work or people will demand things of you. Those things don't go away. It's how you relate to it. Right. And like, you know, as a dad, I want to go to every single one of my daughter's lacrosse games. Mm-hmm. There may be times where I can't. And, you know, so everybody has those different scenarios in their life. Mm-hmm. Like some people may not go to any lacrosse games. Mm-hmm. Some people might go to all of them. And the idea is we think that everything is a must. Exactly. I have to go to, and that is not true. I don't, my daughter will survive if I miss a few lacrosse games. And I've actually missed the first two this year, yeah. which is surprising. Well, and those reasons have been because another daughter mm-hmm. had, this is part of having more than one child. Yeah. Where Todd and I do, and I know you guys can relate, a lot of dividing and conquering. Yeah. I'll drive them here. You go to the game. I'll go see my mom. You take the kids here. Like that's part of life. Right. And sometimes what we make essential is what we did on Saturday, which is no today everything is on the back burner and we're all going together to see my mom like there are times you have to do um this is the 
the ebb and flow of life is sometimes you have to divide and conquer and sometimes you have to be like, no, we're all going to come together. Yeah. It's just the idea of like everybody, including me, I think like I, I have to, I have to do this. There really is no have to in anything. I have to go to work. Well, actually, you don't. You you might stop going to work and you might stop getting a paycheck, which may make you not be able to pay your mortgage, but you don't have to do anything. Right. So it's, it's just I'm just inviting myself and the rest of us to to just reframe what have to means. Well, and see how it shows up. Like one of the stories Greg tells in this book, and it's at the very beginning for those of you who have read it or plan to read it, is one of the reasons this, this topic spoke to him is he was with his wife. His wife was giving birth, right? And he was so excited. They were going to have their new baby. And it was on this certain date that she went into labor and it just happened to be this date that a coworker of his said, I know your wife's having a baby, but it would be really horrible if she had a baby on this certain day because we have this meeting and this person really oh wants God. to meet you. And it just so happened she went into labor that day, right? You know, mm-hmm. Murphy's Law. Sure. So she had the baby, she's resting, he's there, and he's thinking about this conversation with this coworker. And the coworker basically, I, don't, I can't remember from the book, but he calls her emails and says, you're still coming, right? And he was in the room with his wife. His wife was fine. So he's like, well, I guess I should. Like, I really don't. See, and that's cultural conditioning. Exactly. And so he went to the meeting. And of course, like the guy who told him to come patted him on the back and said, oh, our client is going to be so proud of you that you showed up, you know. And in that moment, he's like, who am I worried about being proud of me? My wife and my child or this guy? It's upside down. I have a a personal story myself. Uh, My stepdad who died, geez, 16 years ago. Um, He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a few years before he died. And he had what was called the Whipple procedure. Yes. And you, I think we were engaged at the time Mm -hmm. and we're at the hospital Uh and he had this big, long procedure hoping that it would, you know, cure his cancer, at least maybe limit it or whatever. And I had a meeting in Michigan the next day. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And (laughs) I ended up not going to the meeting, but up until like that afternoon or maybe even like while he was in surgery, I thought I was still going to leave leave Mm -hmm. the next day. And then I didn't. And now as a 47-year-old man looking back on my 29-year-old self, what a colossal miscalculation of what I was, where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And we can all, like, I have a feeling, like, let's say you're 45 years years old listening to this podcast right now. You can look, You, if your 65-year-old self would look back on what you're worrying about today, that 65-year-old self would laugh mm-hmm. at what it is that we're or worried Or feel about. bad for you. Be like, that's too bad. I say that laugh, you, feel... you say feel bad. Well, and this has come up in our marriage so many times because I, in no way am I perfect at this, but I think just because of my experience of my dad being sick majority of my adult life, it's been very clear to me what's most important. Yeah. And I've had to quit jobs and give things up, and, and that's just the way it is. And I've had the experience of knowing that that's always the right experience. And there's been some times when... Either I was sick or um, my dad was back in the hospital and I was like, please don't go on a trip. And you're like, this is what I have to do. I have to work. And I would be, those things are more devastating for me than most things. Like, And I've had friends who have done that too, who I've said, I really need you. And they're like, yeah, but I have this business trip. So let's get together when I get back. And 
for some reason, those things make I, I brings tears to my eyes. It, it hurts me more because I feel like even though I know they love me, the priority is not, or I'll say you, the priority, your loves are out of order. They're totally out of order. And, and you know, just to kind of uh, have a discussion. So I think my version of that is work. And I think that's cultural conditioning. As a man, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to provide. work and mm-hmm. provide and all that. Yours is you think that you need to be home on as many days as possible when our kids Correct. arrive through the door. Correct. Is it nice that you're home? Yes. But do you think that there's a little bit of miscalculation about how, about the importance of every single day making sure that you're home or Well, not? I think you're looking at it through a lens of you think that I can't do it any other way, mm-hmm. which isn't true. Right. I can always do it another way. Of course. What I know is that's my essential. Yeah. So... I don't think my loves are out of order. You may say to me, you don't need to be here. Sure, I don't. And I could, you know, and there are some times that I'm gone and there's sometimes I'll say, like there, like just two days ago, I said, I'm not going to be home while you pick up Skylar. So it's not like I'm not capable of it, but your situation, you're saying my thing is work Mm -hmm. and yours is that you want to be home for the girls. I think it's mine more screwed, mine is definitely more screwed up. So mine is definitely something that I can become, I don't want to use the word addicted because that sounds like a negative. I can be very hard on myself, Mm -hmm. which is I think what you see about I need to be here. Right. But I also know it is my essential. Right. That the most important thing to me is being connected to my children and to you. Totally hear that. And I just wonder, so like I gave you, is there anything that you think that you're like upside down on or backwards on? Oh, this book is so meaningful to me because I actually, Todd, I don't know if I, I tried to tell you last night, but the girls wanted our attention more than we could have a conversation. They're just totally getting in the way. Sometimes, you know, when you're just starting a conversation with your, with your significant other or your friend and the kids just come in and ruin the vibe, (laughs) like we couldn't continue because Mm -hmm. she, they were singing and I was like, like, ah, um, and they always know. Yeah. It's like they know like, we're about oh, to. Oh, mom and dad are about to have a productive conversation. <laughs> Let's go screw that up. So anyway, I made a list of my essential things. And then the, this is how I called it. Essential, next essential, because there are tiers. Right, which might, somebody might say is a prioritization, right? It, it absolutely is. And why I did it this way is because this isn't done. Meaning that I think. a full eight and a half by 11 list of things. Well, like I said, but I, no, 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 you're, you No, no, I'm, I'm curious to see, hear what you did there. Okay. So this is, okay. Do you remember the thing we talked about last week? I think we talked about it last week. Um, the activity in Brene Brown's book about finding two words. Did yes. we talk about that last week? I don't know if we talked about the podcast, but you and I definitely talked so about it. So if we didn't talk about it on the podca- uh, podcast in uh, Daring to Lead, Brene Brown's most recent book, she talks about how you really have to, for your own set, for your integrity right. and to be very clear about your own character, you have to figure out what two words drive you. Okay. You have to figure out what your goals and purpose is and not, it's not necessarily work related. It's what you adhere to. And I said that my two words, um, after doing a lot of whittling down, Mm -hmm. like I started with 10, you know, and then you just have to kind of whittle down. And I chose connection and well-being. Mm. And those seem, I've used them now for about four months and they seem to fit every your scenario. North Star. They really do. I actually got a necklace that is a North Star, by the okay. way. Um, so, so why I'm telling you that is I'm still whittling this down. Sure. Is there another way it'll, it'll never be done no. either. It's going to change. Because even in my essential, <laughs> you know, there's seven of them. Um, and essential is not like my priority, which is a different thing, is my family. Okay. Okay. But I was writing down work-wise because you and I were talking about new so work goals. this is goals. your work stuff. Okay. Right. 
so like I didn't put your name in here. Mm. Now, what I did though at the bottom is I have my personal essentials. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I have essential, my next essential, which are the things I like doing, but I don't have to. Yeah. And then not essential. Got it. Um, one of the things on here are, well, I'm not going to say, <laughs> well, one of them is meetings. You don't want to have any more meetings? I can't stand meetings. Sweetie, meetings are the best. Sometimes Todd will be like, hey, I'm having you know a work call. We're having a FaceTime work call meeting, and you want to join? I'm like, do you, you know, no. I have no desire to. And that's an example of when I go to the meeting, do I learn something? Of course. Do I get a better vision of how things should go? Yes. It's not as if you're wasting my time. I just don't want to. Don't you think Oprah, as she was growing her multi-billion dollar industry, sat in a lot of meetings that she didn't want to sit in? Sure. But again, Todd, then we're getting away. Like then that's that's lack of essentialism again. Right. Like she, I also know that she started making meetings a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And she also said to all of her producers, if you're going to bring me an idea, I need to know your intention mm-hmm. and how it'll help people. Mm-hmm. So she started basically saying, she's, she's the CEO of her company running a show. Of course, she's going to have to have a meeting. Right. But it's not going to be, let's throw out ideas. It's, right. I need to know what. And so same with me. Like, you and I, you know how meetings are better when we go to lunch? Mm. I'm pretty just, good at meetings when we go to lunch. Just feed you. Feed me. Um, so anyway, I think it's just the practice of kind of, Figuring out what's, what's most essential because Todd and I, uh, part of our work, and I'll just say part of my brain is I love new things. I love to be creative and come up with something new or I have a new idea and my stomach gets all excited. And I have to figure out if this is my thing. I don't know if Todd does this, but I have to figure out if I'm going to do this new thing, then I have to let go of an old thing mm-hmm. because I already, I Create can't. Create some space. Right. So if I'm, so right now I'm debating this new idea that we have. I'm like, if we're going to do this new idea, then I got to get rid of something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I can't put another thing on yeah, the plate. Yeah, you can't pile it on top. Right. And so. Of your already pretty full plate. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting because this, this essentialism book is coming at the same time as the KonMari stuff is here. You know What's about the KonMari that? KonMari stuff? KonMari is the whole thing about the tidying up. Is that the girl on Netflix or whatever? Woman, or, yes. I'm sorry, woman. the woman on Netflix? Yes, exactly. And she has a book that's mm-hmm. been out, you know, the art of tidying up. And so some of the, the KonMari stuff, like some of her rules are commit to tidying up, imagine your ideal lifestyle, finish discarding first, tidy by category, follow the right order, ask yourself if if it sparks joy. Mm -hmm. Now she's talking about cleaning up your closets and your house and your, your life, but essentialism is very similar. Yeah. You know, maybe different, um, language, but very similar. So this is kind of a trending thing because I, I've never watched the Ted talk or whatever she's done, but I, I have heard it quite a bit over the last few months. Yes. Well, the book was like a phenomenon and then it took a year or two, but now oh, yeah, she has this show. 2014, she came out yeah. with the book. Yeah. Um, we have it. It's in my office over there if you want to look read at it? it. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's these. that's where I got the rules from. Well, and the one thing that I say is that this book, Essentialism, mm-hmm. is harder for me, I think, than it is for you. Yeah. And so I wanted to stop talking and I wanted to see, like, talk to me about what you think about this. I think that uh, I'm addicted to productivity. And it's funny, you should even like kind of investigate what the word productive means. Mm -hmm. Because I think of productivity as being busy. Mm -hmm. 
And I know enough to know that really great leaders think busyness is not a quality that you necessarily want to have. So I, I already know what's best for me, which is um, effective time spent. But I err on the side of just being busy for the sake of, be, of being busy. And I think that is because, I don't know why that is, mm-hmm. but I'm, I feel like I sleep better at the end of the day if I know I checked a bunch of things off the list. Mm-hmm. And if I were to put, spend 35 minutes looking at the squirrels out my front window and have no time at all, I'd be like, that was a waste of time. I know that that it's not, but I can't curb my compulsion to always being doing something. What if you figured out what is essential to you because you don't want to stare at squirrels. That's what I do. No, I don't. So my point is, is you're trying to fit your, you know, you're a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. You don't need to be like me. Correct. It's what are your essentials and then focus your energy on that. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you do, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like you'll go through your email and then you'll make whatever's being asked of you priority. And you'll be like, oh, I have to stay busy because someone needs this. Oh, I need new ideas for the tribe. So I'll just create something. It's like, okay, hold on. Yeah, the email is like the most obvious um, uh, thing, example because mm-hmm. I email is something quick and usually and when I say quick I mean somebody sends me an email I can respond and I feel like oh check versus you know a brainstorming session of the direction of Zen Parenting Radio where we want it to be in the next five years that's harder for me to do mm-hmm. or you know rest you know we haven't even started talking about rest yet yeah but, that's number one um, I would um, you know be like do I want to work for another hour get preparing for the Zen Parenting Conference or should I get some sleep? The week of the conference, before the conference happened, I was up to 11.30 midnight. You were in bed by about 9.30. On purpose. On purpose. Right. I said right. this it week It was an intention that you mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like, my time is better spent getting ready, preparing, doing whatever it is that I need to do. And that's and this is the breakdown. This is the uh, the conscious versus the unconscious. You think more time spent means you're more prepared. Yes. I don't think that's true at all. Right. I think you spin your wheels. Yeah. And I think that you think you, you... Okay, let me give this as an example. I'm going to like back up, way back up, like the truck. So, for example... Right. Yep, backing it up, back up. Okay. Two girls in a truck. <laughs> um, so we. So here's the thing. I, with my students, my college students, right now they have an outline due. Okay, they have an outline due tomorrow, and I was kind of explaining to them what they needed to do, and it's super simple. It's when I say outline, I mean outline like Roman numeral one topic, Roman numeral two why, Roman numeral three. Okay, so simple. What do they all ask me? I've been doing this eight years. How long does it need to be? How long? Does it need to be two pages, one page? How, blah, 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 blah. You know, and again, why do they do that? Because they have been trained to look at things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't really care how long it is. Can you just tell me why you're doing the paper? Like, I'm not counting your lines. So I go over this and over this and over this with them. Yesterday, JC wanted me to read her paper about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading it. It's very well done, doing like I'm helping her a little with edits, like what did you mean by this, blah, blah, blah. So by the time we get done, it's a page versus a page and a half, mm-hmm. right? And she looks at it and she goes, oh. It's only a page. She goes, I got to figure out, we got to put in another paragraph. I'm like, why do you need to? She goes, because our teacher said you want something full And when something's full, it's overflowing, which means it's overflowing onto another page. And I said, okay. And again, her teacher's amazing. I'm not, I'm not critiquing the teacher here, but what I'm saying is we're giving this mixed message Mm -hmm. 
of here we are con- consolidating this information and making it make sense. Yeah. And then we then we say, no, just put in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I can look and see this is a page and a half. Yeah. And this is kind of what I'm, and again, that's my backup from your work, is you really think if you spend eight hours, then you're more prepared for that presentation than if you spent a really purposeful and thoughtful two hours. And I believe that my, I am, and again, this is personality, but when I teach or I'm presenting with Todd or at the conference, I don't want to know what we're going to say because then I can be honest. To be present. Too. And present. And then I'm not thinking, ooh, I want to check all these things off my list and tell these people all this. I just want to like show up. Right. And and as you and I have had this yes, we uh, have. Uh, discussion before, you present differently than I do. Yes. At least, I don't even know if that's true, but we prepare much differently. Yes. I want to like write all this stuff out right. and then maybe uh, compress it down to four or five bullet points mm-hmm. of five or six words in each bullet point. And I if I don't have that going in, mm-hmm. I feel lost and I'm already anxious before it starts. Mm-hmm. Whereas you are different. Mm-hmm. You're like, don't give me anything. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Well, and you know, I like the bullet points because then we have some, like, it's almost like a structure. Yeah. But then let's walk into an empty house, meaning like, let's fill it as we go rather than hand a, a the vision I get. I, this may not make sense to people, but I, I envision like you need the bones of a house, mm-hmm. but then let's walk in and then put the house together with the people rather than go in with a full house and shove that on people and say, you're going to like this. Like, let's create it as we go. But I'm not, in no way, I have to prepare. Like, I don't walk in, like we're giving a sex talk tomorrow night. I'm not like, oh, whatever. Tonight. Uh, Tonight, sorry. Um, Three days ago, I went over our PowerPoint and made sure, like I'm always preparing, but I don't need, then I let it go and show up. And so- I think sometimes the let's go back to what you're saying. Let it go, <laughs> let it go. It's been a long time. Can't hold it back anymore. Todd used to play that all the time. Every time I said let it go. I like that song. Um, but uh, it, you, I think you're like, there's something about if I put in eight hours, I'm going to be better. Well, and it's like, I used to think cramming for a test was smart. But I don't know how you studied for tests in college. I would study until I was like, until it was like two in the morning and then get three hours of sleep, wake up early before the test and cram as much stuff into my brain as possible. And I know that that did not serve me at all now as a grown up. But before I'm like, no, I got a, 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 a good night's sleep is more important than whatever knowledge I was going to have to mm-hmm. try to remember the, you know, at nine o'clock that morning mm-hmm. of the test. Well, you know how I studied, and my and yeah, I'm not you saying you were a nerd. You like, got papers done two weeks beforehand. <laughs> I did, and and I don't even know if that was necessary. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't look at that and say, yeah, do as I did, because mm-hmm. I think that there was some times that I could have been a little more chill about yeah. it. Um, you know, to your point about me being at home with the kids, like sometimes it's too intense, right? Yeah. Like, I, I it's not always the right way, but no, I never crammed for tests. Yeah. I I couldn't function that way, yeah, because that's too anxiety provoking for me, but. Just a few other things um, uh, regarding like a few of the things from the book that are really great is, you know, he kind of, again, like I said, he he talks a lot about work in this book, um, but then he really starts talking about how essentialism is an emotional discipline. Mm. And I appreciated oh, that yeah. because rather than it being a 
a do a do a discipline. Okay. You know, like how am I going to do this or what do I do or how do I show up? It's really how you manage your emotions around things. From what energy? Right. And so, you know, really this whole pro- process of essentialism, it goes back to our guiding points with Zen parenting, which is compassion and courage. Like you really have to be compassionate to yourself and be somewhat courageous if you're going to practice essentialism because saying no to people isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, being Not showing up for things, you know, one thing that's kind of in vogue right now, even though I don't know if it's in vogue or people are just throwing around the meme, but is the idea of JOMO versus FOMO, where FOMO is the fear of missing out, yeah. JOMO is the joy of missing out. Oh, and so you got a lot of JOMO. I have a lot of JOMO. I got a lot of FOMO. <laughs> And and it's not. The well, there's something going on. We can't go. Great. <laughs> like I get, I'm like, let's go, let's go. No, let's not. And we find the balance. You and I strike we do, a balance. We do. And and also, you know, Todd, we don't have to do everything together. Like Todd has a full life. We have a full life together, and Todd has a full life on his own. Sometimes and vice a little versa. too much. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like it's not in no way. Like I kind of feel like essentialism could become a weapon again against our partner, and we don't want to use it that way. Like you don't want to be like you need this book. I'm doing all this right, um, but it is a good conversation for us as parents. It's a good conversation for us in our own work world. And for me, it's less about. For me, it's validating. And it's also reminding because for as much as I want to say, oh, my priorities are in order, my loves are in order, there's still things that take my energy that have really nothing to do with the same. It's not busyness like Todd. It's concern and yeah. worry. Like one of the things – like I I don't really – I'm a broken record, but I don't care about the things that people tell me to care about regarding our work and promotion and marketing. I don't care. And I know, and people can explain to me why it's important and why it's valuable. My girlfriend, Jess, makes fun of me because her work is marketing. You want to know why? Because Jess is uh, very good at what she does, which is um, increase market share for whoever her customer is. Yes. And you don't care as much about that. You'd rather let's serve the people that happen to listen to our show in the best way possible, and then that will take care of all the market share we'll ever need. And the step before that is let me have fun doing what I love. Because one of the things that is part of the essentialism for you and I with this work is one of the goals, or I wouldn't say it's goals, a philosophy, something that we hold dear with Zen parenting is I refuse to make Zen parenting what pays our bills because as soon as that becomes what pays our bills, we're going to do things and tweak it for our own need. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody has that luxury, but I also think that any creative endeavor, if you start to put your energy and the, the weight on your creative endeavor that you're going to pay all my bills, that, that stifles your creative energy. Like, do you know that stress, like any, and this won't shock you, Todd, because you understand the how brain works, but stress actually stifles all your creativity. Yep. So like, have you guys ever been like, um, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed 
and all of a sudden you're walking and you drop your keys and then you run into a table and then you can't find your phone. Your brain, because of stress, is literally shutting down. So it's not, oh my God, look at all these things that are happening to me in a row randomly. It's because you've shut down a part of your brain. So if we're going through life stressed, wanting our creative endeavor to pay our bills, we've already stifled our creative endeavor. Now, am I open to making money on Zen Parenting? Of course, Mm -hmm. abundance, right? Mm -hmm. Like a karma, like whatever. But I refuse if it becomes the other way. Yeah. Like I teach, Todd has his job, we do presentations. That's that's our money stuff. But this can't be that or else it's going to suck. Right. Because we'll worry about it. Yeah. And this show 488 is a good example of that because we don't have any partners this week. So we literally are not getting paid anything for the show. But what about uh, Jeremy? Oh, yeah. Good old Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed And see, I don't – okay, don't don't get me wrong. People who are listening who are like, maybe I want to sponsor the show, please come. We'd Mm -hmm. love to speak with you and see if it's a good fit. But it really doesn't matter right. because that's not why the show was ever created. Right. It's not why this we do it. This is the balance between you and I. Exactly. Because I'm like, let's at least, you know, our time is worth something. So let's try it. And that's why we have Teams Zen too, by the way. Can we talk real quick about the importance of play? Yes, I love this. Yes, Okay, please. so play can serve. Uh, so first of all, this happens to be one thing I'm You're really, really good, good at. at it. Yeah. Um, but this is what play does because we think of play as a something that if I have nothing else uh, to do, then I will play. Um, play helps us develop novel connections between ideas that we would have never otherwise considered. So that's like the idea of what if we did this and put it together with that? The only way that works is play stimulates certain parts of our brain that allows us to make these connections exactly. that you wouldn't be able to make if you're in a business meeting about this very topic. Uh, it is an antidote to stress, which is one of the key factors in unproductivity, and it helps us to prioritize and analyze tasks. Those are the uh, things about play. Now, in the summary that I read, it did say that if you're going to have to choose between one or the other, between play and rest, it chooses rest. Correct. Which is not something I'm good at (laughs) at all. So anyways. Well, and it's funny because those two things are the top priority. And when when I talk about creativity, I think a lot of people envision endeavors that are more like this or Mm. like writing or like artwork. Creativity is involved in every job that you have. How you parent. Exactly. How are you going to respond to this kid when this kid is driving you up a wall? Yes. Beautiful. Because it's not just work. It's how you respond to people. It's your emotional awareness. Again, your emotional discipline is around play. But sleep is so important in regulating, modulating every aspect of your body and brain that you can't function and have an emotional discipline if you don't have sleep. He actually talks about, I think he's interviewing someone in the book, I don't think it's his story, but about someone who was so against sleep, they just fought it forever, Mm -hmm. that they were trying to even figure out ways like pills they could take so they could only, and then they finally decided that one night a week Um, it was a guy, I think he was going to pull all nighters Mm -hmm. one night a week, but the rest of the time he'd get eight hours. Mm -hmm. That didn't work either. Like we're not built to not sleep. We are built to sleep. We need it. And that one of the quotes he has in this book, um, is from Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton said all the mistakes he made as he, you know, as a president, he realized he made because of sleep deprivation. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are many other people who could say the same thing is that when do you yell at people? When do you make poor choices? When do you give up? It's when you're exhausted. So sleep deprivation. And for those of you who have baby babies 
and are like, Kathy, I'm exhausted all the time. I've been there. I get it. Um, this too shall pass. Right. And you yeah. almost have to just kind of be like, this is a phase of life. This isn't the way it's always going to be. Um, you know, there is a reality to having little kids where they're learning how to sleep right. and you are their support system. Um, remember that Seinfeld where Kramer just decides to take a bunch of naps? <laughs> I think this is that scene. If not, I'll just cut it out. Okay. Ailey, uh, listen, uh, do me a favor, will you? I got a hot day tonight with Connie. Knock on my door. Wake me up in 20 minutes, all right? Can I? No, 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 no. This is evolutionary. I've been reading this book on Leonardo da Vinci. See, that means from Vinci. Do you know that? <laughs> must be some book. Yeah, well, it turns out that the master slept only 20 minutes every three hours. Now, that works out to two and a half extra days that I'm awake per week, every week, which means if I live to be 80, I will have lived the equivalent of 105 years. Not to mention how much more you'll accomplish. Oh, I got a lot of things in the hopper, buddy. I didn't know you had a hopper. Oh, I got a hopper. A big hopper. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what this guy in the book is saying. He tried every different way. Yeah. And there is no... So, to your point, Todd, rest is the most important thing. Sleep. Um, how would you letter grade your, ability, your discipline to sleep? Well, I had a life-changing experience that made it better, which was last year when I couldn't sleep. Everybody who listens to this show knows this, but I, because of the flu and my own grief and all these things that were going on, I lost the ability to sleep. And it was like losing something you never know you knew you had in the first yeah. place. And because I've always been a pretty good sleeper, yeah. I've never thought about sleep. And so when sleep was taken away from me, yeah. I was like, holy crap, this, and again, people are going to say, duh, but it affects everything. Yeah. The way I ate, the way I responded, the way I was emotionally. The way your body functions, like the internal organs of your body, like everything. Now, I will say, I would give you like an A minus B plus grade. Now, yeah. I would give myself right now in this moment maybe a C minus, and maybe I can make that to a B minus. Well, I don't know. Now here's the funny thing: you what? are the okay. So I understand why you're giving yourself a bad grade because you sometimes come to bed late and yeah. you're at your computer. It's my decision. It's decision. But when it's time to sleep, Todd falls. He's like a rock. Game on. He like I always when he comes to bed, I'm usually reading or you know watching reading something on my phone or yeah. watching something, and. I'll like put, he'll get in bed and I'll, you know, we'll say goodnight and I'll put my leg on him. Mm -hmm. And like, like it takes 60 seconds and you're jumping. Mm -hmm. So your ability to fall asleep is a gift yeah. I don't think you've recognized. For sure. You're right. Be yeah. So oh, like. I totally take it for granted. And you can nap and you can. Sleep on planes all the time. So sleep in the car. My favorite. This is just two days ago. So we were driving to, we were coming home from my mom's, yeah. okay? And Skylar, I was in the front with JC. My daughter is driving now. And um, you were in the back with Skylar and Cameron was in the middle. And Skylar, of course, whenever you're with Skylar, she wants to play with you because that's what the two of you do. You right. play all the time. And so she was making him sing or they were playing. And then he said, okay, for this song, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but you're like, for this song, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. Right. And for a song. Right. And I fell asleep <laughs> and she woke me up. <laughs> and I'm like, how does someone fall asleep for a song? Oh, I was and he really did. I was so unhappy when she woke me up. She's like, okay, song's over. But it was a good two minutes. <laughs> good it was two so minutes. great. Okay. So my the last thing, because I know we're finishing up here, is one of my favorite quotes in the book. It's kind of the mixture of... All, everything we're talking about this. And by the way, I still have a fourth of the book to go. So maybe we'll mm. come back to this book. I'm only three fourths through, but there's a quote and a chapter that says, protect the asset. Mm -hmm. The asset is you. Mm. Protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Protect yourself. Surround yourself in a bubble of wellness and 
what that means is protect protect your sleep. When someone's like, well, I'm going to come over at 10. Sorry, you can't. Yeah. I'm going to bed. Protect your play. Like if somebody's like, oh, yeah, you guys, you were outside all day when you could have gotten things done. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's actually what life is about, yeah. is play. My play is different than your play. You're a much better player than I am. But I I do believe in taking, my play is like what you said, like staring and, yeah. you know, walking or sitting in a chair and looking at a tree. Like for me, that's just. Sounds awesome. <laughs> To you. Um, But protect yourself because you are the asset that makes everything else run. So put it in your calendar. Yes. Put it in your Google calendar. Go to bed at nine o'clock tonight. Yeah. And I'll I'll go uh, to what we're talking about tonight. Mm -hmm. Protect your sex life. Yes. Right? Right. As Oh my gosh, yes. It's always like the last thing yes. if we have time or if the situation arises right. where the kids are not here or there. It's something that absolutely needs to be prioritized, I guess. Well, in, in, and chosen together, mm-hmm. not a, we right. need to do this, so I'm going to guilt you into right. it. This need, and again, remember, this is a whole different talk here, but what sex life means to different people. Yep. Like sometimes it can just mean being together and watching a movie and hugging. Like it's not always, I know we always have these back and forths about that's not what it means yeah, to everybody. Yeah, thinks a massage is sex. Well, it's, it, it's defining what that word means about connection because really the gist of it is, you know, obviously it's reproduction and enjoyment mm-hmm. and all that, but it's really about connection. connecting. Yeah. And so what does that look like to each person? And then of course everything can play out the way that it typically does, yeah. but that has to be agreed upon. Yeah. That can't be. Yeah, you don't, you can't, I've done this with not the, one-sided. the men's groups. The men's, one time a guy said, <laughs> my stretch and a stretch is something that you say you're going to like work towards that week or in between meetings. Like my stretch is I'm going to have sex with my wife more every week for the next four weeks. And I'm like, hold on, dude, there's two parties in that. Two you cannot parties. decide. You can decide that you're going to ask her if you can give her a foot rub, but you cannot decide to have sex. Right. That's not what sex is. Right. It goes back to the beginning of our conversation about consent. Like yeah. now I know people say, well, it's my spouse. I don't need consent. Yes, of you course do. you do. You need That person needs to be in alignment with where your mindset is. And yeah. sometimes when you're raising young kids, that can be challenging. So with that said, essentialism, Greg McEwen, I think I'm saying the name right. I recommend this book to you. um, And I'm heading out. Todd, can you finish up? Sure. Go ahead. I'm going to talk about Team Zen. Zero pressure, 100% support. We do two Zen talks a month. We would love to have you guys join the team. Um, We have... 53 Zen talks that you can kind of look at on your private podcast app. Uh, we have a Zen, book, Zen uh, Facebook page. Um, you get discounts off of everything, including the conference. And then uh, we also, I, I want to give a shout out for my coaching. So if you're a guy out there, go to toddadamscoaching.com for sessions free. I hope you kind of untangle some of the things that are tangled up in your life, whether it's relationships or work or other things. So I invite you to go to toddadamscoaching.com. And I also have that tribe men's group, which we are about to launch our uh, website 2.0 in the next few weeks. So uh, with that, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody and say thanks very much for listening and just, I guess, keep on trucking and um, see you guys next week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen 
private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. What about my book, sweetie? Just my books. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, And guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, So we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Abbott Company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at abbotco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.